Well, hello there, film fans, film lovers, film goers, and last but not least, filmmakers. You have reached the one-stop destination for all things cinematic adventure. Yes, that's right. That's the Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast with yours truly, Akil Wingate. Just what kind of cinematic adventures do we get up to here at FlickFair.com? Oh, so many. Like romance, drama, science fiction, fantasy, experimental, documentary, feature, narrative, music video, and so much more. But not only that, you can delve deep into all those wonderful films anytime you like, every day of the week, by getting your festival pass. Now just how do you get your festival pass? Oh, it's so simple. Go to flickfair.com, click on the button that says get my pass to get your festival pass. And not only that, you can now take the movie making magic with you wherever you go. How? Well, Flickfair now comes in an app. You can get yours by going to Google Play or the App Store, look for Flickfair, and download your app today. Now, you're probably wondering how you can catch up on all these exciting podcast episodes that we have under the belt. Simple. Here's a teaser. Have a listen. Third Eye Blind uh, went on tour without a new album, and they decided to kind of play the... uh, the hits, as it were, and this is after a 20-year anniversary tour, and we headed out with them and decided to explore their fan-favorite motorcycle drive-by, which was a which was a song that didn't really get radio play and wasn't used for commercials, but connected with the fans uh, in a certain way that their hits didn't, and we wanted to explore that uh, um, connection between band and fan in motorcycle drive-by. And my name is David Wexler, and I'm the writer-director of this film. When the love of his life is kidnapped and held for a ransom by terrorists in North Africa, a war hero Brad Paxton races against the clock to rescue her in a daring and a deadly operation. My name is Hisham Haji, and I'm the director and the producer of Redemption Day. Listen, sir. Those nightmares you're having ain't going away. You need to do something about it. I don't know if it's the right time for me to leave. You gotta trust me here. Morocco's beautiful. In Morocco, we have found something incredible, and we have been granted access to excavate. We have to be careful. We are very close to the border. Why did you choose sort of this somber kind of tone for your opening uh, opening wide shot with the so that's, composition? I wanted to give this feeling of a meditative space. Mm. That's her morning routine. I mean, as, as soon as she starts massaging that donut dough, it just feels like that's her way of meditating. Mm. And I just, want, I just want to give that quiet respect, that space for her. And and also you can see in her tone, in behind her softness, her gentleness, there's this something that she has to come over. Has It's her sort of past mm. and the difficulties that she had. So in every beautiness, there's this sort of a sadness, sadness to it. Yeah, without giving too much away, we're going to actually play a clip right about here. And uh, listeners, you can hear for yourself. 
So I'm Jean, I'm, I'm American actually, but Taiwanese. My husband's French, that's why I'm here in Paris. I came 28 years ago and I started making cookies for my children. It's developed into a, a cookie business and I opened my boutique four years ago. Back in the 50s and 60s, like everyone's dream was to go get their doctorate in sciences or whatever in America, right? My father, um, I think he came in 1958, he immigrated to Kansas because they had a very good engineering university. And then at that time, you weren't allowed to bring your wife and children over, you had to be employed. And so once he got that, he did this record four years time, and then he was able to, he got his first job, and then he brought my mother and my sister and brother over. And then I was born afterwards. So, um, oh no, I'm gonna get sad. <laughs> okay, hold on, I have to recollect myself. Okay, where was it? So in Kansas, it's like the wheat belt of the U.S. There's all the, the wheat fields. And so there's this tradition of baking cookies. And um, I grew up with all these mothers baking cookies. And the story is basically revolving around a young scientist who becomes entangled in a military mission to deliver the only antidote that will save mankind. And then on her journey, she finds out she's not only fighting for survival, but also being confronted from demons from her past. Hi, this is uh, Jean de Morand. I'm the producer of the proof of concept short film, Megan. And there you have it. What a teaser of some of the many exciting episodes that we have here at the Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast. So all you have to do is go to flickfair.com, click on podcast from the menu bar, and it will take you back to all of this season's episodes. Now, you hear that? That is the sound of the New York wind howling in the midst of winter with snow so high it reaches your knees. That is the sound of one strong, brave, courageous delivery worker who ventures out into the relentless New York snow to deliver food to those who are stuck inside during the winter onslaught. But lo and behold, things have gotten complicated because well, the delivery workers' bikes have been banned. Now, where do we go from here? Well, our guest is here to tell us all about that right after this. You're listening to the Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, because there you will find all our exciting news and promos and things that you can get over at flickfair.com. You know what always makes a great gift? A Flickfair Film Festival Festival Pass. And you can get yours by going to flickfair.com. Click on the button that says, get my pass to get your pass. Now, if it's for you or for someone else, it doesn't matter. Give the gift of movie making and cinematic adventure, and you won't regret your choice. Did you know that Flick Fair is now available from Google Play and the App Store? Now you can take the movie making magic wherever you go. Simply go to the Google Play or App Store and download Flick Fair.
The Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast is here weekly with exciting new guests who are filmmakers and movers and shakers in the world of cinema. When you tune in, you'll get all the behind the scenes stories of, of drama and romance and science fiction and music video, you name it. And our guests will be here to always keep you at the edge of your seat. That's the Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast. Tune in weekly. Welcome back to the Flickfair Film Festival official podcast with yours truly, Akil Wingate. Now, before the break, I tease that our guest today has brought us quite the compelling story. Well, let's not beat around the bush. Let's dive right in. Here's today's Logline. Logline. Hi, my name is uh, Jane Wong. Uh, I'm a female filmmaker from China based in New York City right now. And... I'm currently finishing a feature-length documentary called uh, Right with Delivery Workers. And uh, the, uh, the one I'm showing um, right now is called uh, uh, A Winter with uh, Delivery Worker. It's a short film I published in uh, 2019. Uh, it's about uh, uh, my work to uh, activate, uh, being an activist, uh, work with this uh, Chinese immigrant delivery worker community in Manhattan, uh, in New York City, actually, I should say. Um, they are uh, many, uh, I started this project in 2016, uh, when a friend of mine who was a PhD candidate uh, uh, in the uh, city of New York, uh, in CUNY, do, do you know CUNY or mm -hmm. the city, of the the university of the city of New York? And his uh, his name is Dolly. He's a PhD candidate. His dissertation work is about immigrant food delivery worker. So I was just help him out to reach out to the Chinese immigrant community to go to Chinatown and to conduct a survey and interview with delivery workers. So I remember in October of 2016, I just uh, bring my camera because I always carry my camera or my phone with me to ready to take some shots as a habit of documentary filmmaker. So we walk into this uh, um, community center slash uh, senior center slash Mahjong gambling house. <laughs> and uh, we walk in with uh, several elderly uh, Chinese delivery workers. They are like the Fujianese and they came in the US in the 90s or early 2000 years on a boat. And many of them been here about 30 years and they're still uh, undocumented and uh, never able to go back to China to see their family. Mm -hmm. uh, so they just poured out their stories, how they came here, how the uh, the human trafficker they call Snakehead treat them in the first uh, couple of years. They have a huge debt they have to pay off. Basically, work they work as a modern slave to mm. pay off their debt for six to ten years. Wow, just be debt free, wow. and then they are deliver food on the street of New York City. 
on that time they're facing for many years like a, a, a police enforcement mm -hmm. and because there was really funny law about uh, e-bike is uh, in New York state there's laws that you can own an e-bike you mm -hmm. can purchase an e-bike from a bike shop if but you can't it. but you can't ride it on the streets Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's we're, a very gonna, strange law. We're, we're yeah. going we're gonna to dive a little bit more into the detail of the story in just a moment. But listeners, that is our guest, Jing Wong, who is the filmmaker behind the film, A Winter with uh, Delivery Workers, that you can now find at flickfair.com. Uh, Jing, thank you so much for joining us. And well, this is a multi-layered story um, from so many different aspects. For those of our listeners who aren't quite familiar with uh, the makeup of New York, which is a huge, huge, huge metropolis, um, during the time that you were filming this project, uh, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio were in office. And at the heart of the story uh, are um, Chinese immigrants who are delivery workers, food delivery workers, and they are uh, going from the restaurant to their clientele on electric bikes or e-bikes. Um, sounds innocent enough to me, sounds innocent enough to, I'm sure, our audience listening. But Jing, what, uh, what became the conflict? Um, as you first started filming, when you first started filming and finding out more about what was happening, what were the, the, the people that you were connecting with beginning to tell you about their lives in terms of trying to make a living on an e-bike? Right, so first of all, I, I feel uh, when I just started uh, learning about this subject, and I realized there's a huge gap between mainstream media and mm -hmm. uh, Chinatown, the delivery workers community. And uh, they were being called like a Sichuan cycler, Mongol warrior. Mm. And they, their people go on media to say they not belong to our street. Mm. They, they should be punished. And then the many workers that they write, they deliver food on the street. They have to keep work, uh, keep looking out for police. And there's a period of time there's uh, say the ice gonna find a grab delivery worker, arrest mm. worker on the street. So there's a lot of a uh, fear on the mm. street. But from in the community, because I'm Chinese uh, immigrants and uh, I still belong feel I'm belonging to the community, understand language, un understand their struggle because mm -hmm. my, my father used to be a, a migrant a wor migrant worker as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel their pain, I am with them. But in the meantime, I just feel the name they were given by the media mm. is unfair. It's very unjust to yeah, give a, them name without knowing there's a, anything. There's a yeah. telling moment when uh, Mayor de Blasio in the film has a press conference right. about, um, about right. trying to crack down, <laughs> crack down. <laughs> this is the language that he's using, crack down on e-bikes. Now, for the yeah. rest of the modern world, um, uh why is a crackdown on e-bikes necessary uh from well, his standpoint yeah, that what was, was that was a uh i believe in august 2017 and mm -hmm. uh, that was a very dramatic day i believe the 24th or 26th of 2000, and 
I finished my first version of a short film. Mm -hmm. And um, back then, it's a 10 minute film telling workers the story from their point of view. Mm -hmm. And just like translate, make sure if people can understand, know their background story so they can treat the worker better. Mm -hmm. But in the same day, when we screening my film in CUNY Grad Center, mm -hmm. and Mayor de Blasio in, on Upper West Side uh, have this press conference announce he will crack down on e-bike. Mm. Basically very, very arrogant mm. saying like uh, is every time NYPD see an e-bike, they will, they will, they will take, a, they will confiscate the e-bike, they will, they will find you $500 funds and uh, they will charge the, uh, anyone uh, is a threat, writing an e-bike is a threat for, for uh, public safety. And the, the reason he's doing that, he never did any research mm. uh, on the market. He never talked to a single delivery workers. Mm -hmm. And it's all because there's a retired banker, a uh, longtime Upper West Side uh, residency. Mm. I think his name is Matthew Scheffler. He went on WNYC Brian Layer's show, talked to media, but uh, talked to mayor hour and uh, just called in and say to mayor and an e-bikes not belong to our street i want them out mm. so respond to his phone call and advocacy mm. and mayor announced crackdown on e-bike mm. and it just posed the like just emphasize the conflict so dramatically then i got a call from the workers to go in to help them strategize mm. what they can do, what they can do to organize, if, to protest in the if, midnight in Chinatown. If I, if I can cut in here just for a second, just to go back to something that was nuanced with that press conference. You mentioned mm -hmm. this, uh, this uh, wealthy businessman who called into Mayor de Blasio, um, right. noticing, New Yorkers will notice, <laughs> me being a New Yorker, New Yorkers <laughs> will notice that uh, the mayor had this press conference in Upper West Side, which by itself is telling because uh, a certain, um, how do I say this? A certain wealth bracket lives in Upper West Side, number one. <laughs> Um, yeah, you may want to introduce a little bit about the Upper West Side neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, so 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 let's let's just say that let's imagine uh, New York as the melting pot that it is of with so many different communities coming from all over, from all over the globe. And what makes New York New York is that it is not a birthright. It is not your DNA. It is the spirit of uh, um, chasing your dreams, and and that is the American dream. The it being a, an immigration center from people all over the planet. Um, and you know a New Yorker by their attitude and their personality, not by how they look, not how, how, by how they speak, but how they carry themselves and believe in themselves. Um, now, mind you, there are parts of New York that are economically depressed, and there are parts of New York that are rich as all get out, so to speak. And Upper West Side is one of these areas that, to some large extent, is very wealthy. Now, um, for those of us around the globe who are quite familiar with electronic bikes, electric bikes, Switzerland is used to them, France is used to them, uh, the European Union is definitely used to them because they curb, uh, curb pollution, for example. 
and they're an excellent means of transportation. And a city as large and bustling as New York, which has a high pollution rate in and of itself, one would automatically think that the push for e-bikes would be just as strong as the push for electronic vehicles, so to speak. Um, but instead of having this press conference somewhere uh, else in New York City, someplace much more accessible to not only the upper class, but also the working class, uh, Mayor de Blasio has his announcement of a crackdown on e-bikes in Upper West Side. Um, now, <laughs> was that gesture lost on you at all, or did you immediately see it for what it was once once you saw where it was taking place and it was in the backyard of this, uh, so not the backyard, but the, the backyard, so to speak, of this wealthy, wealthy businessman who had called in a favor with the, with the mayor. Right, it's definitely uh, triggered the whole mm. movement of mm. what we call the delivery justice and uh, from the workers community as well from uh, uh, immigrant activist community. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, we, because Dr. Dolly was doing survey, doing research, collecting data uh, from immigrant worker. I was filming the worker's story mm. uh, a year prior be before his uh, crackdown announcement. Mm -hmm. So we have enough data, enough uh, evidence to go on media, to speak up, to bring workers to city hall, to the government, to speak mm -hmm. to them, to find a uh, deliver justice for to this community, mm -hmm. and it was really uh, a moment like uh, as an immigrant, I first time feel I'm an activist. Like mm -hmm. my film have a meaning mm -hmm. to because it's a speak for it, it was a told from the inside of the community, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, many times even though it's basically New York City, and but immigrant community like yeah. the elderly Chinese undocumented immigrant workers, they don't have any voice. Mm. And uh, even though the time we bring workers to uh, city hall to have a meeting with the elected official, they will block them. Like we can go in, but they will block the delivery workers. There's no delivery mm. allowed to go in. Mm. So, and they not able to speak up for themselves mm. and because of language barrier. Yeah. So it, it's really, uh, put them on the edge because of the fact um, they are facing uh, every time they face uh, the like, e-bike was confiscated, they were facing $500 funds mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. they have to pay the fund to get their e-bike. They usually just sold their e-bike to somewhere in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So they have to take a subway, take a day off to get their bike. Usually because they didn't treat it well, they have to fix the bike. Mm -hmm. It's cost them up to up to a thousand dollar and maybe two or three days of this work. And then mm -hmm. think about every month they're mm -hmm. facing this kinds of confiscate several times yeah. and they work for free. Yeah. And the car tickets usually is about 50 to 100. Exactly, exactly. You back take 500. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was I was getting ready to to, to mention that. Um it, in fact it's interesting because your film almost sets up I I hate to say it in this manner but it's honest. Uh sets up a protagonist and an antagonist and our protagonists are clearly the delivery workers. Um and our antagonist as as I'm sure our listeners have have surmised, is the former mayor. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll come back to the antagonist in a moment. But we do meet 
in the opening shots of your film, one of our heroes, so to speak, we meet one of the delivery workers who is getting ready to go out and, and work. Um, can you walk us through what his, his uh, daily routine was uh, from the moment he, he gets ready to go out and then venture out into the winter, the New York <laughs> brutal winter? winter. Can, you, um, can you describe that to our listeners? Oh, sure. Uh, we, uh, the, the first part of the film, we follow a delivery worker. His name is uh, De Qinglian. Mm -hmm. He was uh, 59 years old uh, on the time we filmed him. Mm -hmm. And he lived in uh, a, a Chinatown apartment, uh, shared a one-bedroom apartment with uh, his son, his wife, his uh, daughter-in-law, and his two grandchildren. Mm. And uh, we were uh, it was really a terrible day. It's like a winter storm and uh, the, the school was closed. The many workplace was closed. It was shut down because the snowstorm was so bad. Mm. And uh, I would just ask him, it's, uh, ask him, it's going to be snow really like a 12 inches snow. Mm. And are you still going to go to work? And uh, I was surprised. He said, oh, this is the best day for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, this is the time most of New Yorker wouldn't go out. They will mm -hmm. stay home and mm -hmm. they will order deliveries. And uh, many of the workers, many people maybe have a sympathy to give them more tips. Mm -hmm. So they prefer to work in the, the terrible weather, like raining or snow day, so they can mm -hmm. make extra money, right? And then uh, also on that day, there's a WNYC journalist who was the one start uh, telling Matthew Scheffler's story mm. about his point of view of viewer mm. uh, workers. And he wanted me to get him some workers to, to, to see another side of the story, to tell another side of the story. Mm -hmm. So I just, okay, if you wanna go meet me 6.30 in Chinatown <laughs> in the storm day. So that's mm. where we met and we went to De Qinglian's house, uh, apartment. And at 6.30 in the morning, and I was amazed that she already got us breakfast, hot breakfast, mm -hmm. and uh, asked us to com comfort us and to, to, to like, uh, just treat us really nice as a guest, you know? Mm -hmm. And even there, there's the kids, there's, uh, he will put his kids and the family member in my room and come out, talk to us, and, but he have to go to work. So we filmed him brush his teeth, getting ready, and walk into this uh, winter storm. Yeah. Uh, and we had, uh, I believe we had one camera and- uh, uh, And a GoPro of some GoPro, sort. GoPro, yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, some of the, in the beginning of the shot, you hear the wind blow. You also hear the heavy breathing. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. some of, from the Qinglian, some from us. <laughs> Now, now, listeners, listeners, imagine so a, New, a New York snow is not unlike uh, the kinds of brutal snows that you hear about that can get up to your knees. But mind you, um, people who don't go into work on the day of the snow day will probably order in because it's not worth trying to venture out to the grocery store, or what have you, to get food. So somebody has to deliver the food. And a regular bike, a bike that you pedal is not going to trudge through several inches of snow. It won't even cut it. 
And if you have a car, well, then already you are up uh, an advantage. But most delivery workers aren't uh, aren't uh, working using their cars in the heart of New York City. It's it's already a threat for finding parking spaces, and on top of that, uh, tickets from the police for parking. So the natural next step would be to have some kind of hybrid bike that can get them from point A to point B quickly so that their clients, their, their customers are happy. Uh, and that's what we see with, with uh, our, very first, um, our very first delivery worker, our very first uh, uh, hero of the story that we meet. Um, now, from, from, from the perspective of you joining, joining on this sort of journey, going from, from one location to the next in this winter snow. This was your first time doing this, I imagine, the very first day that you did this. What was your immediate impression after, after struggling through the snow and then realizing that delivery workers do this on a regular basis, day after day? What was your impression? Well, the amazing thing about the GoPro is really uh, provide us a first person uh, perspective mm. to experience what uh, workers experience on their mm. e-bike, uh, especially when the paddle is through the snow, you hear the fear and mm. the, 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 the way that they're juggling from the snow. And uh, later on, we, we actually filmed a lot of workers on their daily work. And uh, it's very, very the journey of delivery food you know nowadays we have apps and they also seamless effortless deliver mm. and uh, free deliver then people say that none of them ever made a delivery mm -hmm. so if you you ride the bike with the workers and uh, they, they, they they take them in half an hour to an hour to deliver an order and they try just ride through snow heavy rain summer mm. heat winter mm -hmm. blizzard to bring to your door mm -hmm. and uh, most of New Yorkers it's very I don't I don't think it's not even New Yorkers and most people in the world they just take the food and thank you and buy mm -hmm. and the, we we monitored the average encounter time with the customer and the delivery workers was four seconds oh my gosh yes wow. they wow. open the door thank you bye wow that's it wow yeah and no one ever Rarely anyone had a conversation with them. Mm. And the immigrant of delivery worker, particularly, they, they don't speak English well, and maybe that's a reason. Mm. But imagine they are the one, the, they are on the road, usually work 10 hours, yeah. or 12 hours a day. Very physical. It, very, it's, it's impossible to ride yeah. a pedal or regular bike, even mm. you are in perfect health, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you're an athlete, and especially there elderly workers mm. so they're paddling 12 hours a day they they on the road the police may just take their bike take mm. the order away mm. they have to do it again and uh, they they are very easy to be a victim for uh accident encounter with accident that mm. they get the word a lot and many of them have to the people complain about oh right against the traffic they cause so many dangers mm. because of the way the the city designed their uh, road is like one way for cars mm -hmm. not for workers for for mm -hmm. bike riders they have to go around just to follow the traffic law yeah. and then if they deliver their food late they got complaints especially nowadays the app worker they got bad rate and the mm. uh, they affect their pain rate actually. So they are in under stress, tremendous of stress, 
on the street all day. Mm. And then the connection with the mainstream world, with the customer, with New mm. Yorkers, like for a second at a time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, many people so, don't keep them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, in some respects, it's a thankless job because they are at the mercy of the customer and at the mercy of uh, the elements, the physical elements of, of winter snow or heavy rain or, or impossible heat, as well as <laughs> New York drivers who can be absolutely relentless. Um, right, and, they are part of this yeah. machine. They are not yeah. being trivialized human. Yeah. That's yeah. really striking me to keep seeing we, that over and over. But then we hear what is compelling uh, so many of the, the heroes of your story to continue to, to work, why they are working uh, these, these long hours. For example, one of the, uh, uh, one of the people says, uh, my wife is, um, is not physically able to work. And so he's, he's more than willing to take on more hours and work long hours so that he can help her. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about that and your, your encounters with the, the people that you've you've interviewed and, and shadowed and followed? Um, was this a story that you heard more than once where people were saying, I'm doing this for my mother, I'm doing this for my wife, I'm doing this for uh, my grandmother, et cetera, people who people who might be back back home, uh, who are physically able or, or some other 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 aspect? Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Um, as an immigrant, um, particularly as immigrant workers, and a lot of uh, food delivery workers I work with, they are elderly themselves, mm -hmm. and they came to this country when they are young and uh, going through the whole process of uh, paying the smuggler, bring them here, and have a huge loan, huge debt mm -hmm. on their head, uh, on their back. And uh, most of them are from a poor village region in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, their family income uh, depends on their, they send money home. Mm -hmm. And they usually have a, a family to take care of there, have a children, they want to support their children. They also saving money to pay off the debt, saving mm -hmm. money to, to hire a lawyer to get them legal legalize their uh, get a legal immigrant status mm -hmm. and then in hope to bring them a family together mm -hmm. and even nowadays there's a new uh, a lot of still a lot of uh, uh, I only can speak to Chinese but I did an interview with many uh, workers from other country through mm -hmm. translator they all share the similar story mm -hmm. they came here because they are the hope for their family mm -hmm. they are the hope to change their children's future mm -hmm. they are the hope to take care of their parallel mother at home mm -hmm. so they all people don't leave them home for no reason you know especially people not come to american for pleasure mm -hmm. they are suffering mm -hmm. just for the future for their family members it's a very common story so it's 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 almost um <laughs> It's both heartbreaking and, and at the same time infuriating, at least for me, watching and juxtaposing this, what you beautifully set up in, in the filming, uh, where we see uh, our first hero story, and then juxtaposing that <laughs> against this, this absolutely bizarre uh, 
uh, press conference from the mayor uh, talking about a crackdown on e-bikes that are mostly used by delivery workers in the same kind of tone of voice, like you might talk about a crackdown on a, a war on gang violence or a war on drugs or a war on whatever might have come out of the sort of Reagan kind of uh, playbook, so to speak. Um, and where he's, he uses, Mayor de Blasio uses the, the wording um, to keep our streets safe. <laughs> yes, for yeah, who? Exactly. And, but safe, um, the word safe really, really was, was, was the moment that the conflict really, really began to hit, hit a fever yeah. pitch. And Who's so at, at, at okay. some point, at some point, the, the wonderful people that you were following, the delivery workers and the families, what have you, uh, got to meet Mayor de Blasio face to face. What was the energy like in the, in the, in that, uh, space, uh, before, um, before the questions uh, were asked of the mayor by, by some of the delivery workers? Um, the workers are very exciting, mm. were very exciting to meet the mayor. And they have a, they were really, uh, how to say, they were really appreciate they can, they can have this chance mm. to speak to mayor about their struggles. Mm -hmm. They have a high hope to, to change their life, the mayor would be, you know, a big white man would save them in a sense, mm. like American hero story, mm. right? And he fit in all this category. But the the during the conference, mm. um, first of all, it's really hard for them to get a term. Yeah. There's so many people there, and also the way they calling people um, wear new faces. But finally, after four hours waiting, and we finally uh, they called one of the elderly workers in the group. Mm -hmm. And then the elderly worker is so eager to speak up his mind. But uh, the, the translator is not familiar with the topic. He translated it wrong, and the mayor is about to pass. Mm -hmm. That's all the time I just grabbed the mic and started translating for him about mm -hmm. the issue. And uh, there's really high tension there to hope the mayor would listen to us, would, mm. uh, would uh, at least listen, but he just ignored and go on and yeah. Yeah, there was a, mm, it was a very telling moment, <laughs> very telling moment <laughs> when, when uh, um, the mayor, uh, says to uh, Dolly, who is, uh, I, I guess we should say right. Dr. Dolly now, because Dr. He has Dolly. His, yeah, he has his PhD, who yes. very, very articulately uh, asks of the mayor, uh, listen, uh, is there any chance that we could at least sit down and discuss this and negotiate? And the mayor cuts him off and says, basically says there's nothing to discuss. It's state law. It's, and I've said what I've, I've said what I've had to say. Um, Needless to say, this is uh, this is uh, true to the character of the former mayor. For those of us who are familiar with uh, Mayor De Blasio, um, but right. in in that moment, we see those two sides juxtaposed against each other in this one confrontation, and the collective disappointment on all the faces of uh, all the people and activists who have gathered. With with hopes of having an audience with the with the mayor and with hopes of at least um, engaging in a constructive conversation, all those hopes were dashed in that one moment where the mayor says, 
basically, no, there's no need to talk about it. It's already done. Um, right. What was what was your feeling at that moment when you heard him speak uh, in that manner to the to 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 the to the group? Um, okay, so you know, as a woman, grow up in uh, Asian culture, right? We are listeners. We are usually obey. We are usually not uh, expected to speak up. Mm. And I remember the first time to talk to the mayor, I was on, also on a similar event. I wait in line and finally get to talk to him. He's like, oh, cute Chinese girl, let's take a picture. Mm. I was like, no, I'm not here to take a picture with you. I'm here to, to, to speak to you about this issue. Mm. And then he just, it's state law, nothing to discuss. Let's take a picture. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then on the on the press on one of the hearing, he was oh those little people shouldn't oh be suffering. Gosh. I'm like oh my god. Wow. Yeah, and but this all this incident, all this uh, make me first time realize mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm not American, but I'm a part of this society. We wasn't being counted. I wasn't expected to speak up. Mm. We never been included mm. in any conversation mm. so and uh, there was really really dark struggling moments for mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. collectively to feel um you, you know like there's a lot of interviews i know probably lots in translating not really capture it they keep the work we keep saying uh, there's no no way out and no, mm. no method nothing mm. we can do mm. because they are never being count mm. as part of the society so that's mm. really a, a dark moment yeah. but uh i i kind of like uh, get empowered started seeing there's a con conflicts in the film there's reality and mm. then we start uh, reaching out to media. We start bringing more workers to be interviewed by uh, variety media. To mm -hmm. maybe one way is if we cannot talk to the government, that at least we can talk to the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We still have a trust to uh, American society, to the New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. That's the time we start this uh, kind of media mm. <laughs> outreach to to bring workers to the new to the news media, mm -hmm. telling workers story. And uh, Doctor Doe has become the face of the delivered justice to mm. to speak up his research and why it's so important mm -hmm. to to make sure so, so, so to, to to talk to workers that workers speak up. Mm. So that's the our second phase we changing our i'm from a outsider american but inside the chinese community filmmaker mm -hmm. to telling a sad story mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. new yorkers transformed to be an activist member in this uh, 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 activist group to speak like to to fight for justice for mm. workers you know something that's something i always have have lived with um, as a New Yorker myself is the fact that um, you, what well, you said uh, once or twice during during the podcast that uh, you were an outsider, but I'd say that all of you are New Yorkers. 
a certain population might not see you as Americans, but you are certainly New Yorkers because you are the lifeblood. You're the lifeblood of the working class. Um, anyone who can't see that is 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 blind uh, and willfully blind. Um, and the one thing that I've always noticed about New Yorkers is the spirit to persevere and to fight for what uh, we believe in, which we see in this film. It's, it is absolutely compelling. Listeners, uh, our guest today is filmmaker Jing Wong, who has brought to us the film, A Winter with uh, Delivery Workers. We have a clip here and trust me, it is worth diving in. You can hear it now. We'll be right back after this. This is the Flick Fair Film Festival official podcast. Oh, I understand when he says serving the food, delivering the food. Delivering the food, yes. But who? Who is he representing? Uh, may I translate for him? He's one of the e-bike deliver worker, and his question is, he's one of the which workers? I'm sorry. E-bike deliver worker. Ah, okay. You can use a car. You can use a regular bicycle. You can go on foot. All there's all sorts of other ways to deliver food. But we're not going to allow e-bikes. Uh, the bike project, and we work with a lot of immigrant workers. Yeah. We want to ask you to sit down with the workers, immigrant workers, to hear their concerns and to work out reasonable policy that works for everybody. We have a policy. I'm, I'm going to be very straightforward. We have a policy. This is state law. The fact that state law is ignored does not make it okay. White city data that shows that e-bikes are not dangerous. This year alone, New York City has issued over a million dollars of e-bike fines to workers. The city has also confiscated over a million dollars of e-bikes from workers. This staggering sum severely penalizes those who make some of the lowest wages in our city. Be sure to get your Flickfair Festival Pass at flickfair.com. Every month, tons of new films from filmmakers all over the world make their entry at the Flick Fair Film Festival. And you can check out all the hottest new films by going to flickfair.com. Get your pass today. This is the Flick Fair Podcast, and we are tuned in. Welcome back to the Flickfair Film Festival official podcast with yours truly, Akio Wingate. I am joined by filmmaker Jing Wong, who has brought to us the film A Winter with Delivery Workers. Now, um, listeners, if you have not yet checked out this film, you absolutely need to go to flickfair.com to see it. Uh, so um, before we went to the break, we were getting kind of wrapped up in, in sort of the the conflict that was beginning to, to mount between the mayor who dug his heels in and uh, the delivery workers who were uh, advocating for legalizing e-bikes so that um, they could get their work done. Um, and you had remarked that uh, it had been the first time ever where you had really been confronted with this kind of um, sort of standoff publicly. Um, what was your, if you could have given a temperature reading of the room at the moment when the mayor first said to Dr. Joe Lee, um, it is what it is, this is the law, and this is what it's going to be. What would you 
what would you say the temperature was in the room? What was the the sort of general reaction from the delivery workers who were there with you at that moment? That's a great question. I never thought about uh, the temperature temperature of the room, but uh, we do. If we we monitor that way, actually, it was really heated up. We mm. were actually running around the seating, try mm-hmm. to get more a chance to speak to the mayor at that moment. Mm. So Dr. Dolly would travel from left to right to running circle to just to get the caught. And if the temperature temperature wise and uh, uh, it would be like a hundred saucer mm-hmm. degree. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's wow. really reaching to the boiling point. Mm. But the moment uh, uh, once he speak to the mayor, bringing our um, uh, opinion or bringing his research, so we all hold in that silent moment, even mm. though it's not silent, but we mm. feel it's really a silent moment, mm-hmm. and then. Once the mayor delivered his response, and I cannot say below zero, but nearly freezing. Mm-hmm. It's really definitely a quite a, a disappointing moment. You have yeah. this. Uh, you have this lovely money shot in the film where it's like it looks like it's a an over the shoulder, kind of an over to the shoulder from the from the, of the mayor with um with a with with. Dr. Dr. Doe in, 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 in the center of the frame where we see his facial reaction. We kind of see the disappointment on his face after hearing this. Um, now, I imagine for you as a filmmaker and as a storyteller, there are two things going on in your mind. One, having embedded with these delivery workers and all these uh, fascinating people over the course of uh, a year, um, I imagine that your heartstrings also were tugged at uh, from hearing this reaction, but also in the way of a storyteller, you are um, uh, the adrenaline. Adrenaline is pumping because you are in the middle of this story unfolding. Um, can you can you sort of walk us through as as audience members and also for the filmmakers in the audience um, what it was like for you in that moment in terms of juggling both, I imagine, the empathy and the investment that you have on a personal level in this story, but also um, reminding yourself, I need to film this, I need to get this all, I need to get all of this on, on film and I can't be distracted. Um, can, you, can you walk us through that for us? Right. Um, as a documentary filmmaker, like uh, probably the first lesson you have to learn would be uh, you can't be part of the story when you are filming the story Mm. you need to have a distance with your subject you need to have this fair objective view Mm. right and but uh, because uh, this film is a it's kind of a right along with my activist work Mm. and organizing workers to to uh legalizing e-bike in a sense so uh, a lot of time I have, uh, I really have struggled with uh, finding this uh, separating my point of view to mm-hmm. the counterpoint of the film's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, we are extremely low production budget, as you can tell. So many times I have to um, bring in 
as many camera as possible can. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, the money shot you mentioned actually was I'm holding my Sony A7S camera on one hand and mm-hmm. GoPro on another hand and uh, try to talk to the worker constantly at the same time. But there is a moment I have a strong feeling about uh, the the scene unfolding in front of me, and a lot of time like we are not prepared for this. Um, uh, if something just came up, mm-hmm. right? Like the in the in the uh, hearing, and after a hearing, the bunch of workers started to come from to the uh, New York, a uh, former New York. Uh, the city yeah. council council city council member yeah, yeah. city council yeah. member peter cool mm. and that was uh, just came up came up like we have mm. to film it on the dot so i always keep my camera running and uh, try to have as many camera as possible and uh, the i then in the editing process there's a lot of time i'm kind of rewriting how i feel at that time mm. and then in my mind, there's a set of shots and frame, but then in camera, there might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting relationship to think about. And you are revealing what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, one kind of technique of strategy I use is I keep the footage on the cell, on the shelf, like on. Um, in my hard drive for a while mm. before I started editing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I write down the kind of a diary about how I feel that day was happened in words. Mm. And then I kept the, um, and the, I put the, the footage in the refrigerator, let it cool down mm. and then bring it out, have a fresh eye. Mm. Here's a here's a provocative question. Uh, we're going to get to the editing in a moment um, <laughs> because that that also might play into how you respond to this question. But here's a provocative question, um, and I'm sure uh, people in various walks of life can can relate to this question. When you are, when you do unexpectedly become invested in the story in in a personal manner, is it a bad thing necessarily? Is it a bad thing as a filmmaker? To, to be invested in the story and occasionally let that show? Or is it absolutely necessary, particularly in a case like this, where there are some political undertones to, to the situation, um, where it might be seen as absolutely important to remain objective so that uh, people who aren't familiar with the story can get a full understanding of the facts um, is, is, is bigger than the personal investment. Which, which, would you, which would you say is necessarily true for you? Is it necessary to be objective in this particular instance when, when you are uh, personally invested? Or is it a bad thing to remain objective? Uh, and and not necessarily get your hands dirty in the during the process of it. Um, I would say there is no absolute uh, right or wrong answer mm-hmm. for this question. Mm-hmm. It's really depends on the subject, the situation, or even the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the city, especially this uh, film, is uh, extremely remote, and uh, you have to react on the spot mm. a lot of time. Um, I would say because my involvement with the my involvement with the movement uh, with the activist journey um, kind of locked me in the situation mm -hmm. with the workers all the time. Mm -hmm. So my point of view will be. Uh, someone right beside the workers mm -hmm. and go through this emotional journey with them the whole time and that's my point of view mm -hmm. uh, i'm sure if it's a, if i have a budget to hire a filmmaker to film this hire so have someone uh, taking more precise the production role this film would come out very differently but would you uh, want it to looking looking at what you've learned from from this experience would you want to though at the beginning of the developing this film i would love to do that i i definitely try to have a film team try mm -hmm. to give the camera to someone more professional uh, to to film the project project but as uh, the project went longer than I expect, way longer than I expected. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm more and more involved in this project from a translator to an organizer to an mm -hmm. activist. Um, I, I just feel it's a, it's my story. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I need to have my reflection in the film. Like that's, how that's, I feel it's part of the film. That's and, why and, I, uh, sorry to cut you off. That's why I led with this <laughs> kind of provocative question because uh from my perspective as an audience member i can see that it's also your story um uh we've had we've had war correspondents and and documentary filmmakers on the podcast in the past who've also uh spoken to this kind of um personal investment where as a documentary filmmaker you are in a run and gun situation and which means that you really have to decide how you're going to handle the situation as it hits you in the moment. And in those moments when you are deeply embedded in the story, um, possibly following, for example, those in the in war correspondents, for example, uh, who have been embedded with soldiers for uh, a long period of time and know their story, and then find themselves in the heat of the conflict or others who have embedded themselves with um, one person or another and followed their story arc over, over several, several months and also found themselves in some sort of conflict where things could dramatically shift one way or another. Um, right. if they've all said the same thing, just like you, that they found themselves seeing themselves in the story as well, implicated in the story. Um, uh, having stakes in the story. And from my perspective as an audience member, it's truly fascinating because it makes it even more um, compelling to watch. Um, oh, thank you. Now, yeah, I, I, I would add on that is uh, there's a two uh, steps or two layer of this uh, um, first person storytelling mm -hmm. and one is uh, i think i share with many documentary filmmaker and the journalist we are on the scene to react as human being we can't totally mm -hmm. uh just uh 
erase our own feeling out of the story mm. and the camera and all the equipment they are tools but uh, really is our point of view present like a what we see reflect on what how we feel about the mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. and another layer i would add on is uh, um, as we all experience uh, particularly uh, during the pandemic and uh, we had uh, like the, the the time with the trump errors it really pushed me on the edge. Making this film is also a, a waking moment for me to realize, uh, to tell a story from a, a immigrant, a woman's point of view, mm. to tell a story from um, a p- personal level. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it really matters, mm-hmm. you know? Like I, I remember last year, I, Last, last two years, I saw like the Black Lives Matter movement and mm, the, mm. the Asian hate crime. Mm. It just uh, put me on the edge of a seat, kept mm. thinking uh, why I have to be the storyteller, why mm. it's matter to let the immigrants telling our stories, mm. let them, let the workers speak up, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the, something that uh, immediately popped in my, it's, it's uh, great that you mentioned that because some, something that popped in my mind was uh, this period from 2017 to 2018, we were still sort of in the, my words, throes of the Trump administration. And <laughs> um, Mayor de Blasio, who ironically uh, touted his multicultural background uh, during his election campaign and Governor Cuomo uh, having a, um, sort of a deep history in New York, so to speak, and suddenly seeing them in this light where they were rather closed off to, to talk, closed off to speak to the people who are really frontline, people who are, who are working class who who help keep the economy uh, running, so to speak. Um, and then fast forward to 2020, uh, the pandemic hits and uh, we have the Black Lives Matter movement. We have all the Asian hate crimes that have been really, really uh, boiling to the to the boiling point, uh, numerous cities around the around the, the US. And just this fever pitch hits. And here you are uh, during a pandemic, um, you know, working working tirelessly on the edit of your film. I can only imagine how it must have felt to try and thread it together and not be uh, overwhelmed emotionally from, from everything that was happening outside of the editing bay but also uh, some of the nuanced details that we see in the film. Um, you, you, you mentioned that you would, you would step away, you would put the, the footage away for a while and then come back to it. Um, coming back with fresh eyes, uh, what were your gut reactions to your, your, your final edit when you first sat down and watched it from beginning to end? Uh. I would say the emotionally, emotional uh, roller coaster we've been through in the past two years is uh, I never step away from that. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of always a 
excuse me. It's with me. It's like um, the feeling, the depressed feeling um, where the world gonna turn into is always with me. And uh, <coughs> the editing process is became a healing process for me mm. in a sense, because mm -hmm. uh, you're isolated, you don't have a voice mm. and you are yelling, but it's yell yelling in silence no one would hear you mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, making this film and uh, editing this film is kind of a way to put my voice in word mm -hmm. and uh, make the image have emotions have a kind of a sink in with the time being mm -hmm. so I find a more interesting elements during the editing process which I wasn't see during the filmmaking mm -hmm. and uh, and I, those that the moment make me realize it's all there. It's all there. We mm. were being treated, all their incidents happened. We just never have a word for it. We mm. never have an image for it. Mm -hmm. So that's really a, a, a healing and awakening process during the edit. And it's not a, that... Um, how to say it's paralleled it's not a struggle and edit it's a it took me hours to get into the mode of editing mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it's not a pleasant process no. but at the end of the more you spend time on the more struggle you went through mm. you realize this is uh, my voice this is my language mm. to pick up what was the feeling like actually screening it for the first time publicly? What was the the reaction? Uh, the the film uh, A Winter with a Delivered Worker was uh, uh, screened. The first screening, public screening, actually was, was in a museum. Mm -hmm. In the Museum of uh, New York City, they had a exhibition about 200 years uh, biking culture in New York City. Mm. And... Um, uh, my film luckily was selected as part of the show of the, of the, on the gallery. And uh, it was really a celebrating moment, just mm. embrace the, the culture of biking in New York City and with all the different uh, biking activist group. And I was really appreciate they actually shine, uh, shine lights on delivery workers, mm -hmm. include them as part of the biking community. Mm -hmm. And then the first theater experience was in uh, 2019, the Rooftop Film Festival. Uh -huh. And it's funny, like the, the location was in Greenwood Cemetery. I invited all my delivery workers, friends came in to see the film. You know, it's a cemetery, it's night and a lot of... Uh, <laughs> elderly Chinese worker was uh, angry about why we go to cemetery <laughs> it's too hunting <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine <laughs> yeah but uh, at uh, after the screening and I went to talk to them and they were really emotionally charged yeah. to uh, uh, Lian, De Qing Lian, the, the delivery worker who opened the film mm. and when I filmed in during the snow, snowstorm and he, he told me like he was in tears and holding my hand and said, thank you so much for mm -hmm. telling this story. Mm -hmm. And I, I never felt my, my life is that 
we, we suffered that much because mm. I just live my life mm -hmm. and I never feel I'm suffering. I never feel our work is that hard, but to see myself in the paddle in the storm and to mm. see uh, the way my face expression in the big giant screen, mm. you feel it, it, it just like it make me realize we, we suffered so much. Mm. They deserve this voice. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really such a reward for me. Is there is there anything that uh, was left on the cutting room floor that you didn't get to add that you you wanted to add but uh, reluctantly had to um, to uh, pull from the film? Oh yes, actually, uh, after two thousand nineteen, um, I. I continue working on the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the 2019, I did a lot of organizing on um, equalizing e-bike for New York state level. Mm -hmm. So we had more than dozens of uh, rally and protests during the whole period 2019. Mm -hmm. And then uh, during the pandemic, there is, it's not much we can do, but actually we're still going because uh, in, April of 2020, uh, former governor, uh, New York State Governor Cuomo finally announced legalizing e-bike in state level. Mm -hmm. And then in June 2020, uh, New York City announced legalizing uh, e-bike in the city level. Uh, but we, before it happened, the, the workers always talked to me about like, we need to have a big celebration once it's done and uh, you deserve a, a, a trophy or something. But then once it's uh, passed, it's been re extremely quiet, mm. you know? And that, that was the time, because I still constantly follow the VChat group with the local New York workers. Mm. And uh, a lot of them haven't, didn't take any day off during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. They were riding on the empty street, mm. deliver food to people, deliver um, need to hospital to, to help a lot of people. Mm. And uh, that's, I'm still continue to talk to them. I had to conduct a, a set, another set of survey with Winko, uh, um, another organization and BPP. And then I did a several phone interview. And then in the summer of 2020, I went out to film worker story. I met the Ting Lian again to film him working during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then we continue filming 2021 until mm -hmm. last uh, December, we're still filming. So uh, I'm kind of in the editing process, also in the filming process. Mm -hmm. And now I'm put together a feature long documentary called uh, Ride with Delivery Workers and look back to the footage from 2016 and 2017. Uh, there are a lot of beautiful interviews. Mm. Like for instance, one time we, uh, it wasn't in the short film, but it's definitely gonna be in the feature. Uh, we were went to a, uh, a bike shop who's selling e-bikes and we were planned to do a scene on the bike shop mm -hmm. and then there's a delivery worker just walk in and uh, he will just try to have a conversation with me just stay there watching us and try to get close to try to help me in the sense mm -hmm. and then i just turn my camera to him he started like pouring out the whole story of how he that his journey of um, 
uh, snake head put him in mm. uh, a, a car and smuggling him in the from Mexico, drive to Canada, and somehow mm. get to the U.S. So the whole journey of how he was uh, took a, more than a year to get to the U.S. Mm. and uh, how he was treated on the street, the car accident. It was really amazing raw emotion mm. we mm. captured on that scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. When uh, when can our listeners expect to see uh, the feature feature documentary? <laughs> um, I actually did a couple of uh, uh, community screening of the uh-huh. draft of rough cut of the the feature documentary, and uh, we we keep doing community screening with a select audience to to get feedback. And I start a submit to film festival. And mm-hmm. um, I have to share like I'm right now on my own <laughs> to editing it. And so the farthest I can push is really to at the individual level. I'm looking for collaboration. I'm mm-hmm. keep apply funding, which never I'm never so good at it. But <laughs> it, I hope it, the, the film can find a nice place it's deserved. Well, yeah. for, for any of our listeners out there in the audience who might be collaborators, future collaborators or future investors, what have you, where can they find you? Is there um, a website, social media? Where should they where should they be looking for you? Oh, sure. Uh, there's a Facebook page called uh, Right with Delivery Workers. Mm-hmm. And you can contact me from there. And also, I... Yeah, you can just find me on Facebook, on Instagram, just search my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listeners, there you have it. That is our guest, Jing Wang, who has brought to us the lovely film, A Winter with Delivery Workers. Uh, Jing, it has absolutely been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity you've shared with us and all our Flickfair podcast listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate this opportunity. And well, listeners, there you have it. We've come to the end of yet another podcast, but don't worry, just like this week's exciting guest, we'll be back next week with another exciting guest to share more exciting stories. So until then, take care.